welcome to the weekly podcast of Trinity Life Church. We are a local church that gathers in downtown Toronto on Sundays and all throughout our city during the week. Now our mission is to help people discover their identity and destiny in Christ so we can influence our city, our country, and our world. If you're looking for a place to call home, we'd love to have you. Our services are Sunday from 10.30 to noon at Jarvis Collegiate. Enjoy this week's podcast. verse 1 to 5, and it goes, um, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. To do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Haughty eyes and a proud heart the lamp of the wicked, are sin. The plans of the diligent lead surely into abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Good morning, church. Adam here, and I am super excited to continue on to this as we launch into the fall. It's a, it's a big transition. We're coming out of the summer where we, are, where we look to build a solid foundation for all of us who call Trinity Life Church their home. That's what we did with Rise. We wanted to make sure we were all on the same page because a lot has changed um, as we move forward. So we found ourselves last week uh, talking about inspiration. What does that really mean for us? Where should our inspiration come from and what does that mean for us moving forward? And today we're going to talk about innovation. What does that mean for us and how we move forward with the mission of, of God in our city? And so um, I was actually at the uh, Van Gogh uh, exhibit. I don't know if you've heard about it, but there is an immersive Van Gogh experience down at One Young Street and uh, and it's like an artistic display. They, you know, they took a whole bunch of projectors and lit up a, I don't know, a hundred foot by fifty foot room with social distancing circles in there so you can do it, engage with this safely. But but literally there were Van Gogh paintings all over the place and 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 music and it was like they're projecting on the floor, they're projecting on the walls, they're projecting on the ceiling, there there were mirrors all over the place, bouncing light all over and uh, the, the, they, they didn't just take paintings and project them really big. They actually like animated them and they were moving and they were choreographed to the music. And it was, it was wild. And it was just a, a crazy, crazy way to experience, um, to experience something like that. And so, uh, Van Gogh though, let's talk about him for a moment, um, to kind of get us, get us going. Uh, he was an interesting, interesting guy. I never realized quite so much uh, about his story and I looked a little bit more up and so I'm by no means a Van Gogh expert but here's what I learned so uh, number one he's he was a tortured soul like um, I mean you can you can tell from his paintings uh, that he just had a different view of the world right like like we know we know this too because ultimately his end uh, comes by you know he tries to cut off his own ear with a razor blade he ultimately commits suicide and uh, and, but the way he expressed himself, you could see this different perspective on things. Um, <clears throat> and you got to ask, like, so look at, uh, look at um, Starry Night, for example. And a, the, a picture will come up, uh, and you can take a look at that. You see, you see that, and the, what, you don't exactly see a starry night as is in the sky. And my dad was saying this, right? You because um, he came with us, uh, and you don't exactly see a night sky as you would 
Think about it, right? Like you wouldn't paint a sky like that if somebody asks you to paint a night sky. It's a totally different perspective on the night sky. You got to ask, why does he represent it like that? I thought that was my dad was 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 saying that it was it was such a powerful um, such a powerful question, right? Like what in him caused him to see the world expressed that way? Um. <coughs> I think, uh, and and so part of that is like a painting is is uh, can be just a representation of a real thing, right? So, uh, so the realist movement, and I don't know, I'm not an art history major, but there was a realist movement, and they tried to capture, you know, someone's face, their, their, their body, their emotion, their eyes, exactly as it's being portrayed, right? And things look very, very realistic. Like, the level of detail and technical skill to make that happen is, is, is unimaginable. Um, but others might say, art captures something that's more than the real thing. It may be even realer than real, right? Because they capture some kind of meta-truth that is beyond just a depiction of any one thing in any one given moment, right? So some might say, looking at Starry Night, that he's actually, uh, he's actually picking up on the substance of the real thing behind a starry night, or any starry night on any given day. He's capturing some meta-truth about starry nights that, uh, and, and trying to portray it to an audience. Um, for a particular reason. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But um, this is what Van Gogh himself says about his paintings. He says, I dream my painting, and then I paint my dream. Right? So for us, uh, it's an interesting thought right there, uh, is what does it look like to forge into the future, to dream the dreams of God, and to make them happen? Like, let's paint our dreams. Let's see our dreams the dreams of God that God gives us become a reality for us. Moving on, um, Van Gogh, he was born in uh, 1853 to a strict Dutch uh, Reformed Christian family. Christian because, you know, who knows? A lot of people were Christian back then, right? Um, the, uh, this, this went so far as he, he tried to even um, please this Dutch Reformed Christian family by working as a missionary in a coal mine. Like, that, that's super intense. Um, it is because he's always wanted to be accepted, right? It's, it's as if he's grasping for acceptance. And this, that's, that's not my words. That's to a, a, pod, a small podcast about this. And this is kind of the interpretation of the part of his inner struggle, right? He, uh, um, he uh, <coughs> um, so when he tried to make it in business, and, uh, and when that didn't work out, uh, he was like, wow, I guess I'll become a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> or a missionary, and uh, oh, how sad that is if, if that is, um, even if 10% of pastors in the world are in that situation, oh, I didn't make it in business, I'll just, I'll just, uh, I'll just become a pastor, then oh my goodness, we're in a bad place. But, <coughs> um, uh, so, he, so he, he ultimately, so he goes to be this missionary in his coal mine, and he can't quite uh, connect with, um, with, the, with, with the poor and lower class, right, which is what those coal miners were in this neighborhood. Uh, I mean, he was from an upper middle class family. Um, we, already, we already can see his perspective on the world is just different. And, uh, and so it was tough for him to engage there. So, um, so the, 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 coal, the, the poor actually, they like socially isolated themselves from, from him. Like they didn't want to be around him because he was just a little bit uh, strange and weird. And, and he, couldn't, he couldn't incarnate himself into their world fully. Even though some of the stories are, are really compelling about him. Like he actually would give the clothes off his back to somebody. Right, if they needed it, and oh man, how how much more should we be able to do that if we if we um, have the opportunity, right? Which I guess that would be strange behavior, you know, if 
if you just started taking your clothes off because somebody didn't, didn't have them, you just started giving them to them. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so, <coughs> so he stops, uh, so he stops, um, he stops being a missionary and, uh, and becomes an artist, right? And he starts to recluse from family, recluse from, from friends, and uh, uh, it's very interesting, right? Like, uh, why, why does it take leaving these Christian parents to come into this form of expression that, uh, that ultimately, you know, influences Western art history, which is, which is crazy. Um, and uh, <coughs> why is it that the, um, the ones who are supposed to foster ultimate creativity, right? That, that's what his parents' job is to, is to disciple him, point him to Jesus. And it seems like that wasn't the case. They were very restrictive, controlling, um, uh, instead of releasing this guy into, uh, into the force that he could be to influence culture, right? <coughs> um, the parents are supposed to connect him to his creator uh, and imagine if, if, if Van Gogh was tethered to Jesus, the force that his paintings could become in the world. Like imagine if Starry Night actually started pointing people towards uh, the Star of David, the king of all the universe, the one who created the stars. Like what, what could happen? <clears throat> so we see is we see this this tortured soul decline in his paintings. If you if you go to this uh, exhibit, you'll see loneliness and um, and drama, longing, searching, um, things that are that are almost beautiful, but there's something missing in them. And um, and uh, show Starry Night one more time if you can. And the message here is. Look at this. Look at this painting. Because even in his soul's decline, this is his message for one of his most famous paintings, right? And, and hopefully it's up on the screen for you. That even in the darkest night, the stars sh still shine brighter than anything, right? And I don't know if that's his intention, but what a cool message that is, you know? And what if, what if this man, full of the Holy Spirit, started pointing people towards the ultimate one who holds those stars in place. And the star, Jesus, who shines brighter than anything, who is the light of the world, the light of men. So why is all this, why is all this important, right? Um, because <coughs> if we understand that our expression, uh, or that expression in itself, is core to who you are and needs to be rooted in your identity in Christ, that this will help us take the divine message, the divine appointment that you have out into the world and not let, uh, not let this, this, the brokenness of the world lead your soul into this decline. Uh, for Van Gogh, it was, you know, alcoholism, uh, madness. He literally had to check himself into um, to a mental hospital, uh, suicide. <clears throat> but rather... Uh, expression, we take what is inside of us and put it outside of us um, for the sake of others and, and to be in relationship with people. What if what come, came out of us was healing, this, this blossoming beauty of hope that, that could affect, like look at, his, look at his paintings, they affected uh, an entire culture, right? You could be that next Van Gogh, right? Because, and here's the thing that saddens me about, about his story is, um, 
many of us have a Van Gogh story, right? That there's something, something sublime about, uh, about his expression that, um, that, was, that was missed, that was lost, that was used, that could have been used for something so great, right? <coughs> and, but it was discovered after he died, right? And so he didn't even get to experience, uh, experience it. Our story could be something like that, where, where you have something amazing about you that could be discovered in this life, but it isn't even realized, and then you die. And for many of us, it may be not even realized after you die. And that's the saddest part of the whole thing, right? And why? And that, that might be because our dreams are, you know, go to school, become a middle manager, and uh, try and retire at 65, right? And that's our dream. <coughs> All right, let's look to the Proverbs to see if there's any hope for this situation, right? Because that's like, whoa, morbid. All right, <coughs> so the Proverbs here, uh, this is chapter 21, verse 1. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it uh, wherever he will. So you might read that and think, that's kind of weird. How do you hold water in your hands? Like, that is just a, that's a fool's errand. It just falls out, right? Um, well, so what it's actually talking about, this is like an agricultural uh, imagery here where, where God is the one who is like carving out the irrigation channels and he can, he can take the channel in any direction that he wants, right? And uh, <coughs> on our first reading of this, you may think, okay, yeah, so God's in ultimate control. He can just point me wherever he wants and, and it's kind of uh, impersonal. It's kind of authoritarian. It's kind of, um, all right, God, just, just, just do whatever, right? Um, and, uh, and after I was meditating on this for, for us this week, I was just, um, I wanted to, to see us that, that firstly, uh, our leadership and authority should ultimately rest in God's hands, number one, right? So the leadership of the church, your leadership of your, you know, your small group, the way you lead non-Christians to Jesus, which all of us should be doing, <coughs> it should ultimately rest, uh, in in the intimacy of being in God's hands. And that's a key word for us is to be in God's hands is to be intimately involved with a loving father, right? He speaks love. He comforts. The, it's, it's, the word Lord in this passage is God's intimate personal name, Yahweh, right? That you are in the hands of a personal loving God. In John chapter 10, Jesus says that the father, that father has picked us up put us into Jesus' hands, and nothing can snatch us out. And so that's the place, ultimately, where we are safe, secure, and, uh, and, and <coughs> yeah, safe and secure. So there you go. So uh, the imagery here is not that of coercion. It's not like, okay, yeah, I'm just going to dig this channel, and you have no choice, right? It's not, that's not our God, right? God isn't going to force you to flow uh, like a river into his will, right? This is more how we should think about it. You get to come alongside <coughs> leaders and the Spirit of God who are in those leaders, or the Spirit of God who is in you, and we get to submit to His will that will help us flow and accomplish the mission that He has for us, okay? <coughs> because He's loving, because He's patient, and it's in that place that we can align ourselves to what God wants to do here and now. <clears throat> so for our church, 
Um, and especially our leaders or anyone who's attempting to lead people, right? Let's allow God to do that, especially in the, you guys know the focus, right? It's disciple making, becoming disciple makers, seeing the lost meet Jesus. <clears throat> so, that being said, and you've heard Mike say this many times before, that this, is, this needs to be the posture. So if we're going to do that, right? If we're going to flow, if we're going to be the water in God's hands, or our leaders are going to be the water in God's hands, we're going to follow them. This has to be the posture of any disciple maker. It's God, whatever you want, whenever you want. Whatever you want, whenever you want. Can we say that that's true for us? <clears throat> so, <clears throat> verse number two. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. So, uh, Mike said this last, last week, I think. Um, but anyways, if, if, I, if I can't remember correctly, we were talking about it all week, which is why... <laughs> Which is why we're at least going to say it right now. Humility is the key for us moving forward. Because we don't know what's coming next. We don't know. We don't know how to do it. We don't know how to do what's coming next. And you and me and all of us, we're all struggling in some sort of way because of this pandemic that's going on. COVID-19 poses particular challenges to the economy. There's isolation. There's fear. There's uh, trauma. Even death. Like it is, this is not how God intended the world to be right now and it is hard and we're struggling and we're we're losing a lot of things we're losing personal connections some of us are losing jobs we're lo it just seems like so much loss right um, <clears throat> and and so as we shift things in the church to focus on uh, focus on disciple making be becoming more intentional about seeing disciples make disciples who make disciples it may feel like another loss to you. It may feel like another loss. And <clears throat> that's a lot of change. It's a lot of change to be dealing with. <clears throat> and you may be tempted to quit. Say, ah, I can't, I can't deal with this. Or I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it that way. That's, that's where every way... Seems right in your own eyes. I wouldn't do it that way. I'd do it a different way. So, ah, I'm, I'm not going to help. I'm not going to participate. I don't trust that, that the leaders of this church are leading us in a good direction. I, uh, um, I, would, I would do it my own. So I'm going to go to a different church that does it like me. Right? <clears throat> or you may be, if you're tuning in online, you may be somebody who's quit another church already. Right? And so now you're here looking to see if we fit your thing um, the way you want it to be. <clears throat> <clears throat> I just want to assure you guys that as we make changes to things, that every change we're making is to help us be better equipped and better structured to make disciples in our city. This is our goal for you. <clears throat> that your life wouldn't just be ab about going to work and going to church. But it would, that it would be about being the church and getting to work. Okay. <laughs> Janice, that snaps. There you go. That's right. It's not about just going to work and going to church. It's about being the church and getting to work. 
And there's two connotations in getting to work there. Like, hey, we get to do this work. We get to do it together, right? But also, hey, let's get to work. Like, there's work to do. Let's go do it. There's an urgency there and a permissiveness and an opportunity there, all right? Because, guys, here's, some, here's the truth. The last thing that Jesus left us with before he uh, ascended to heaven was not to be disciples only, but he left us with go make disciples. The last thing, the very last thing, go make disciples, not just be disciples. Uh, <clears throat> a pastor of pastors named Kerry Newhoff, he, uh, I, I like his diagnosis of the situation on the Christian church, and this is especially true for uh, Canada, um, but this in, you know, can be said about most of North America probably. <clears throat> this is what he says, I agree that often Christians in the West are immature. I agree our walk doesn't always match our talk, but I also think the average North American Christian is about 3,000 Bible verses overweight. The way many leaders approach maturity is to assume that knowledge produces maturity. Since when? It's wonderful that people understand what they believe, but knowledge in and of itself is not a hallmark of Christian maturity. As Paul says, knowledge puffs up, love, by contrast, builds up. And some of the most biblically literate people in Jesus' day got bypassed as disciples. They didn't get to be disciples. The goal is not to know, but to do something with what you know. <clears throat> End quote. So what does this mean for us, right? Because here's the truth. So many of us have been in the church for a long time, a long time. Uh, <clears throat> and you, you know a lot of things. You know. You know what to do, right? You know what to do. You just don't do it, right? Or we do some things really well, right? Like we meet in living rooms and we care for each other's problems because I know that you agree with me and I agree with you and so you're struggling so we can do life together, right? <coughs> what about the go make disciples part? What about sharing our faith in our workplace part, right? What about forgiving one another, bearing with one another in love, you know? Because <clears throat> we know what to do, we just don't do it. We're about 3,000 Bible verses overweight. James says like this, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. <clears throat> so we know we have to act, we also have the Lord who weighs the heart. Okay, so what does it look like to weigh the heart? This is our verse, right? Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. What does it look like for the Lord to weigh the heart, right? Um, someone who's open to God weighing their heart, it, it may involve uh, some of these, these activities, right? Um, and I just, I just made up this list, so hopefully this is helpful for you. Um, I'd start off with an emotional inventory, right? Just ask God, God, how am I supposed to feel about this? God, what am I supposed, what are these feelings? Just start processing them, right? Take an emotional inventory in prayer with the Lord. God, I'm feeling sad. Why am I feeling sad about this? God, I'm feeling fearful about this. Why am I feeling, feeling fearful about this? And just have your prayer time. We just take an emotional inventory of everything you're feeling about what's next for our church and process it, right? Honest confession. 
right? Because you already know. You already know what's right, right? And uh, you already know you're not doing some of the things that are right and that you should be doing, right? Uh, here's the thing on that, right? Jesus says, go make disciples. So you are a disciple maker. There's no question about it. So don't say to yourself, oh, I'm just not a disciple maker, right? You are a disciple maker. The question is, are you a good disciple maker or a bad disciple maker, right? <coughs> and so then it becomes honest confession, right? And that's fine, right? Because look, we've all been bad disciple makers, right? Because that, that's just, we're just bad at it when we don't know how to do it, right? But you ha we have to acknowledge it out loud. We have to say it out loud, like God, I'm wrong. I'm bad at making disciples. Help transform me into a good disciple maker. Make me a good disciple maker, right? And so we got to reflect on the word, right? Because the word says, go make disciples. Meditate on it. If we meditate on it, we may find ourselves uh, desiring the kingdom reality that Jesus with, left us with, right? The fact that the kingdom is at hand. It's right out there that you can touch it. And, he, and just read through the gospel. He says, it's like this, it's like this, it's like this, it's like this, you know? And we need, we need to start to desire the kingdom reality. And if we meditate on the word, we may find uh, that we know the kingdom reality and then we have to desire the kingdom reality, right? And then we have to, we have to acknowledge the difference there. That God, the kingdom is like this, but my life is like this. And so help bridge the gap for me ask for that transformation. That's, a, that's what I just said. Help bridge the gap. God, make me into your image. Help me be more like Jesus every day. And then we actually need to act out in obedience, right? You have to change. Your behavior has to change. Despite our feelings. Huh. It's like, I'm afraid, but I'm going to do it anyways, right? Ah, I don't feel like this is, this is, uh, this doesn't feel good, but I'm going to do it anyways, <laughs> right? We have to persevere. And the last point is keep going no matter what. Keep going no matter what. That's what it might look like for the Lord to weigh your heart. This happened recently with someone on our leadership team, right? We were talking about something, engaging with people who are different than us, the poor, etc. Um, and it was very beautiful, right? We were talking about it. They felt deeply contrite about it. Um, and, uh, and then the, it was like almost, seemed like the next day, but it was, I don't know, maybe a couple days later, instead of just leaving that feeling behind and unchanged, right, they actually took the step to alter their commute so they could go a different direction um, to maybe see something they never saw before, for, to, to intentionally put themselves out of their way and change their behavior so that they could grow in that kingdom area, right? So they changed their commute time, they changed their commute route, right? And, uh, and took a different path in order to intentionally walk through St. Jamestown to see something, hopefully, that they never saw before, to help stir their heart towards further action beyond just that. So our passage continues, right? Uh, verse number three, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. What does this mean? Well, basically, God is more happy that you do something that directly involves you and people and changing their life than the religious activity uh, with your Christian friends. Okay? He, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. So what was sacrifice, right? So they show up in the temple. Uh, only your friends are allowed in because they're the people who are like you, agree with you, do the same things as you, look like you, talk like you. They show up at the temple, you make your sacrifice, um, 
because you have to, and if you don't, your family will judge you, and, uh, and they'll wonder about you, wonder what's going on in your life, and so, uh, and maybe your sin isn't atoned for, maybe you're going to hell, whatnot, so the pressure is immense, and if you don't show up and do your religious activity with your f religious friends, then, uh, <coughs> well, then, you know, your life is unsatisfying, but God says what is better is to do righteousness and justice. Don't just show up at, to church and go to work, but be the church and get to work, right? Because here's the truth at Trinity Life Church. We've been doing a lot of things that other churches do. We have been. <coughs> but now is the time to boldly go forwards into the adventure that God uniquely has assigned for us and for you. Now is that time. And there will be problems. There will be problems. And there will be hurdles. And it will be challenging. But the solutions to the problems, check this. The solutions to the problems that we are facing as a church are probably out there as lost people in the world. And we're only going to get over those challenges if we go see those people meet Jesus. The challenges our city is facing we may only overcome those challenges because the solutions to those challenges are out there and they don't know Jesus yet. We can't do it alone because we aren't the church that God desires us to be yet. Our family, our coworkers, and our friends are still to be found. And they're out there in our city. We can't hide in the four walls of the church. I know you're in the four walls of your home right now, but we are hiding in there right now, right? That's what we do is we hide in the walls <coughs> when there's hurting and broken and lost people out there. Let's go do righteousness and justice. Let's be the church and get to work. So we have to get creative, especially right now, right? Let's do things that have never been done before to see people meet Jesus. And don't just... Research about it online, right? Don't just say, fun, creative ways to make disciples, right? <laughs> Don't start there. Don't let Father Google dictate your life, okay? We need Father God. So pray. Pray first. God, what do we do? What is my next step? Don't just get better at apologetics, preparing for a battle between you and your friends. You know you disagree on something. And if you bring it up, you, you think it's going to be a battle. So you prepare by getting really good at apologetics and anticipating the, the answers they're going to give and getting ready to fight, right? That's not it. Get out there. Make some friends and make your faith an integrated part of your life and involve them in it. God's teaching me this. God's showing me this. You can be humble about that stuff and just bring it up naturally doesn't have to be weird. Even better, you can forgive them. You can be patient with them. When they ask you to walk a mile with them, you walk two miles. When it seems like they just took the shirt off your back, you give them your tunic also. The solutions to the challenges we face as the church are in the creative image of God that's in you. And you need to live to see the creativity of others released from captivity, to see the world around us become more beautiful and more colorful and a more creative place.
<clears throat> Let's get out of our living rooms and into the streets, into St. Jamestown, into your neighborhood, because that's where people are. That's where those people are. And that's where justice and righteousness needs to be done. Because injustice roams the streets right now. And if that's the case, and we're looking to make disciples, the CN Tower isn't just a tower. It's a mountain to preach the Sermon on the Mount, overlooking the entire city. Local microbreweries and restaurants aren't just places where beer and good food is made, but they are places in which the wedding supper of the Lamb can be experienced, anticipated, and celebrated. The park isn't just a place to let your kids play. It's where Jesus talked about the faith of little children. The tree in your backyard is where Zacchaeus experiences the grace of God that transforms his entire life. It's not good enough to sit in our living rooms. What would it mean to use all of our senses? What would it mean to not just talk about things, but do them? God speaks in a variety of ways. So if you're going to go out there, you might find yourself hearing more of God or from God. Because sometimes it's not as clear as verbal, audible words that you can hear through your ears. God communicates holistically in a wide variety of methods. But thankfully, the things that are most important are very clear to us because the things that really matter, he left in a love letter that he wrote to us called the Bible. So a few weeks ago, the passage was on generosity. So what did my R3 do? We baked some cookies and we went across Kitty Corners to us is a low-income building and we just gave out cookies and talked to people. We learned more in, those, in that one hour than we could have from just talking about generosity by ourselves because we got up there and we did it. This week, our R3 went to the Van Gogh exhibit downtown. I heard described what it was like. It was this intense, immersive, crazy, really cool experience. Because <clears throat> you're in the painting. You're a character in the scene. Lights are flashing all around you. Music's taking you on a journey through every brushstroke, right? It went over the top to take something old and make it new again. And what if we made disciples like that? What if we love people so much we're willing to do whatever it takes to bring forward an old message in fresh ways because it's always relevant? The Word of God is always relevant. This old message is your identity and destiny is in Christ. And there are more ways to live that out than in our living rooms. Um, we were chatting about this this week, and uh, this, is, this is something that came up, right? This is one way to say it, right? You want to meet in a living room and talk about theology and deal with each other's problems? Only people chasing the American dream want a living room that bad. The Son of Man had nowhere to lay his head, let alone a living room. We have the world as our living room, O oh children of God. And we are preparing people for the world. Here's what I worry about as I talk about this stuff is I don't want to make it too complicated for you. I don't want to say get creative and put pressure on you uh, to have to have these weird, wacky ideas or else you're not doing it right. Okay. <clears throat> I want to see you set free from an old church mentality that's actually restricting you. Because we need new methods and we need to try new things together, right? 
So if you try something new and it is a horrible idea and it fails, that's totally fine. It's totally fine. Because it probably did more than you think. <coughs> so if you're interested in this concept, there's a cool passage in uh, Ruth chapter 4 where you see them like trading a sandal. Uh, and you see like the, um, the uh, what's it called? The narrator of Ruth kind of interject and say, he had to explain what it was because people just wouldn't automatically assume that they understood what that meant, trading a sandal to confirm a transaction. Be but it represented something in God's law and the way they worked it out was different now than it was then. And it was even, and, and so there you go. We can work out the things of God in new, creative, different ways. It can look different as time progresses and you see it right there in the scriptures. Verses four and five. <clears throat> haughty eyes and a proud heart, the lamp of the wicked are sin. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. Let's go try some new things. Let's not be haughty and proud. Because the goal is making disciples. So let's go make disciples, right? Let's see the Van Goghs of the world walk forward in healing and experience ultimate expression in their faith and confidence in their identity to see the world change in this lifetime for Jesus, not just for art's sake. Craig Rochelle gives these four essential qualities of innovative leaders. Number one, they embrace problems to solve. Problems are not things to be feared, but opportunities to be embraced. And so we need to train our minds to see problems as opportunities. You literally have to think differently. Right? Something comes up, say, ah, what's that? Ah! an opportunity, right? It's not something to knock you over. Number two, they can operate on limited resources. Uh, he, says this, he says this, right? The number one cop-out is uh, saying, I don't have what I need to get the job done. Just move forward with what God has given you. <laughs> How amazing is that concept, right? <clears throat> the biggest problem in your life is going to be the excuses you make to not be obedient. Uh, sometimes restriction is good because if you have too much time, you get lazy. You know that about yourself. If you have too much money, it trains you to just buy solutions instead of come up with solutions, or creating solutions, right? Number three, uh, innovative leaders have a willingness to fail, Craig Rochelle says, right? I'd rather be a church that makes mistakes going too far than be a church that doesn't do anything at all. That's why one of our core values is boldness. And too often in the church, the leader that goes too far gets dragged down by a bunch of people who aren't doing anything at all. And it's sickening to watch the church not operate in grace for people who work hard for Jesus and expect others to operate at a different standard than they hold themselves to. I'd rather be a church that actively makes mistakes than passively does nothing. Because that's the worst mistake of all. The opposite of love isn't hate. The opposite of love is apathy. So we need wisdom to recognize the crazy ideas out there that might have a big impact on the world for Jesus, 
and we need to have the courage to try it. That's why Jesus was at the synagogue, but also at sinners' houses. He was with the tax collectors, and he's with the prostitutes. He was at the city gates, and he was at the well. He was looking for tax money inside of fish's mouths. He went sailing. He, was, he had a bunch of crazy ideas, but he had the courage to walk forward in faith. Jesus was out in the world with his friends, teaching them about the kingdom. He was who Van Gogh needed to pattern his life after. Because Jesus knew who he was, he didn't need affirmation from others. He knew who his father was and what his purpose was, and he walked forward in it to see transformation happen in this, in this life. And what a life. What a life that is. And we can have that life through the power of the cross and the Holy Spirit dwelling inside you. You can have that life. You can have the life of Jesus. So let's go love like Jesus. Let's go make disciples like Jesus. Let's live on the mission of God like Jesus. And let's see transformation happen in this city and our world like Jesus. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much that you are intimate, personal, that we can walk forward with you to see disciples made. Thank you that you got out of your living room and went into the streets. You got your hands dirty. You got involved. You weren't apathetic and, 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 um, and left us alone. Not caring about what happened to your piddly little creation. You valued it so much that, Jesus, you came and died on a Roman cross to see it renewed and redeemed. And so do that in us as we walk forward into the fall. Let me pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you want to know more about the TLC community, check out trinitylife.ca or you can find us on Facebook. Of course, we'd way rather meet you in person, so we hope to see you at a service soon.